Hi friends, Fred Harrell here. Thanks for tuning in to the weekly City Church Sermon Podcast. Just a note that as we continue to shelter in place here in San Francisco, we will be bringing you our Sunday Sermon audio recording via Skype over a Facebook Live broadcast. So if the audio quality seems like a little lower than normal, then now you know what's happening. We just wanted you to know. You can join us on Facebook Live each Sunday at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening and subscribing to our podcast. The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 19. Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live you also will live. The word of the Lord. Friends, pray with me, please. Gracious God, encourage us now through these words of Jesus spoken to his closest friends long ago, but also spoken for us today. Encourage us through these words, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, City Church. It's really a privilege, and I mean that. It's a privilege to be with you this Sunday from my home to your home. And you know, last time um, I was able to preach and speak to you all, it was our last, our last Sunday gathering 
live together at the Russian Center on uh, March 8th. And we were already implementing safety measures and we knew something unlike we had ever experienced was coming at us. But I don't think any of us actually expected to spend the next two months, two months in quarantine, two months with normal, like whatever that means, still looking to be quite a long way off. But as I start, I really wanna say, I've never been so proud or grateful for our church, for our pastors and staff, and for all of you. I mean, we had no playbook for what our church needed to be in a time like this, but we're figuring it out quickly. And the community and the teamwork and the incredible generosity and creativity that's emerged in our congregation, it's truly inspiring to me. And it gives me a lot of hope for the future, a lot of hope for how we're gonna navigate the days ahead. So thank you for going on this unexpected journey together. And as the days and weeks go on and on, I'm noticing all kinds of unexpected foreign feelings and questions and reactions to things. And I'm sure you are too. I'm noticing them even to scripture, even when I read the Bible. For instance, when I read this passage, our passage for today, when I read it last week in preparation for today, I had the weirdest and completely unexpected experience. I literally could not get past the second sentence of the passage. I was reading another translation that reads slightly differently, and it reads, in my father's house, there are many rooms. In my father's house, there are many rooms. I read that and I just froze. Now, you see, I know for many of us, this shelter in place thing means a lot of being alone, like really alone, more than you ever want it to be especially for those living alone and far from loved ones. My heart, my prayers have been with you in a special way these last few weeks. But my quarantine experience, it's been a little bit different. In a lot of ways, quarantine's been wonderful. It's been a great family bonding experience for myself and my wife, Kristen, and together with our three kids, being together all the time. And I mean all the time. And in real ways, I'm grateful for that experience with them. But my house, it's a lovely, lovely, grateful for it, but it's a very small house here in the inner sunset. And most of the time, Monday through Friday, this house resembles what I can only describe as a highly dysfunctional WeWork. Now I'm talking about the kind of co-working space you would never sign up for. And I know many of you are living the same life. You're trying to work, take care of your kids. You're trying to homeschool. Everybody's on a computer or a Chromebook. I mean, here we've sometimes got five Zoom calls happening at the same time. And the internet's like buckling under all the pressure, trying to keep our kids on track, trying to keep ourselves on, on track and negotiating moment by moment, every square inch of the house, every square inch. And I know that's for many of you too. So my daydreams, where my, where my mind starts to wander lately, it's like how to make every square inch of this house completely multi-purpose. And at my lowest points, at least two times, I've actually found myself in my five-year-old daughter's room daydreaming about what a lovely home office it would make in this moment. I mean, she's five and she's hardly ever in there. And I'm sure these are thoughts that someday I will look back on with great embarrassment you know, the horrible places I got to in the middle of this pandemic, 
But in the middle of quarantine madness, when I read those first two sentences of our passage, I just kept thinking, I got stuck. I kept thinking, Jesus wants to give me many rooms. Jesus wants to give me many rooms, home office rooms, internet rooms, natural light rooms, soundproofed rooms. I mean, it's right there in the Bible, preparing a dwelling place, many dwelling places. Now, before this sermon nosedives any further, let's be clear. This passage is not about how many rooms or dwelling places we need to live well in quarantine. But I do think this passage has a lot to say about how to live in confusing and disorienting and quite honestly, frightening times like this pandemic. If you've been around the Bible or church for a long time, you've probably heard this passage associated with the afterlife, like something like Jesus is trying to explain a bit of what heaven's like or something like that. Um, But that's really not Jesus' focus here at all. It might indirectly have something to do with that, but this is a farewell address. This is a farewell address from Jesus to his closest friends. This was their last night together before Jesus was arrested. And Jesus wants to prepare his disciples. He needs to prepare them for what's ahead because their world is about to be shattered. It's about to be shattered as they enter into a very intense disorientation. Now keep in mind, Jesus is talking to a group who had already given up everything to follow him. Everything with no guarantees about where this journey was headed. They had left loved ones and livelihoods to follow this radical rabbi who taught the Jesus way, this this guy who said things like, the last will be first, and you have to lose your life to find it, and blessed are the poor, and you need to love your neighbor as yourself, and even the neighbors you don't like, you have to love them too, as yourself. Now, Each of them, each of the disciples probably had their own hopes and plans for where this movement might go. But the only thing that kept them on the journey, the only thing that had kept them going for three years with Jesus, their rabbi, was some current of irresistible trust based in him. That's all they really had to go on was their time with him. But now he's leaving. He's going away. And he needs to prepare them, to give them the key, the tools to navigate the disorientation ahead, to know how to live as things were about to change mightily, to know that they're not alone, to know that God is still with them in powerful ways and would continue to do amazing things through their life. So maybe this passage is starting to feel a bit more resonant with our current moment. I mean, let's just remember, none of us, and I mean the entire world, none of us were actually prepared for this pandemic, for this moment. None of us were ready for weeks and months of quarantine. I mean, all our plans for 2020 have been thrown out the window. And the span of loss and disorientation is very broad. I mean, even in our own congregation, some have lost family members and loved ones to the virus. I mean, I've even lost two older, dear friends and mentors. Some of us are worried about unemployment. Some of us are worried about our businesses. Some of us are worried about our children's needs. There's so much confusion and so much uncertainty about what comes next. 
And all of us, all of us have had to live for two months now with a form of isolation from community that is itself inhumane and disorienting, meaning isolation is truly not good. It's not good for us. And yet it's the one thing, it's the one thing that we have needed to do to protect each other, to love each other. And as the days and weeks of this thing went on, especially the early days and weeks, I realized that I was longing for roadmaps. I was longing for mile markers, for like wayfinding points, signposts, just something, some way to measure each day in each week, some way to know if, if I was even on the right path, some way to know if I was even having a good day or a bad day while everything is so amorphous and disorienting. And it's been its own kind of spiritual exercise to slowly come to peace with the fact that there are no maps. There's no game plan. There's no playbook or life hack to figure this one out. And you know, that's part of what the disciples are struggling with here, with Jesus, because Jesus says to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going away. I'm going to be preparing a place for you. And you know the way to the place I'm going. I mean, catch that. He actually says to them, you know the way. But they're like, uh, no, Jesus, we don't know the way. You've told us you're leaving, but you haven't told us where you're going or how to get there. We don't have a map. We don't have an action plan. I mean, this is the reaction we see in our passage from Thomas and Philip. And quite frankly, it's exactly how I'd be responding to in that moment. But Jesus, as he often does, he's pushing his friends toward a new way of seeing their situation. He's reframing their perspective. In fancy terms, we might say he's shifting their epistemological perspective of how they understand Jesus' presence with them and also how they understand their own personal connection to God. Jesus doesn't offer them a game plan, doesn't offer them a roadmap. He reminds them that they've never had a map like that. He reminds them that their journey has always been fueled by their trust in Jesus and in learning and in following the Jesus way of love, wherever that took them. Jesus says there is no map. There is no map except me. I am the way. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the way to God. And in fact, if you've seen me, you've seen God too. I and the Father are one. And you know, at different times, at different times, Christians have sometimes used this passage as a mark of exclusive religious identity or some kind of litmus test or code for how to get your ticket to heaven. But to focus on that would be to completely miss the context of this conversation that night. And on this point, Marilyn Robinson, just one of my absolute favorite writers and public figures, she says, we live in a time when the claiming of religious identity has become more important than abiding in what that truth implies. I'll repeat that. We live in a time when the claiming of religious identity has become more important than abiding in what that truth implies. And the truth is here, Jesus' entire focus right here in this passage and for the next few chapters 
Jesus focuses on the absolute necessity for his friends to continue to find new ways to abide in him, new ways to abide in him. And you might remember in the next chapter, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me as I abide in you. He's giving his friends new ways to understand how they can stay on the Jesus path, to how they can stay on the Jesus way of love, even as he departs. And in the process, how they can find God to be closer than they ever imagined. It's profoundly simple. It's almost too simple. It's about living in the way of love, a Jesus-shaped love. When we feel lost and confused in an age of pandemic and quarantine, we look for the way of love. When our hearts are troubled, we look for the way of love. It's the only thing that can center us. I think it's actually a good way to think about and consider courage right now. Because Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. And it's actually an imperative statement. It's a command. He's saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. And when the Bible or Jesus, anytime the Bible says heart, it's not referring to, you know, that blood pumping organism in your chest. The Bible always is referring to the heart as the seat of emotions, as your soul, as your psyche. And troubled in this context, trouble paints a picture of a storm that's churning up a sea. And so Jesus is saying, you can steady your hearts. Even now, your hearts can be steady. You can be courageous even as the world shifts all around you. And you might know that the English word for courage comes from the Latin and French word for heart or to be led by the heart. And it got me thinking a bit this week about what Jesus-shaped courage means in this crisis. The type of Jesus-shaped courage that is being conveyed in John 14. What does it mean for this crisis? Because, you know, some of us right now, for some of us in real ways, courage in pandemic means facing real battle lines, facing real physical risk as you care for the sick, as you leave the shelter of your homes to engage and help manage the crisis in our city. But for most of us, most of the time right now, courage is something far more subtle, far more subtle, but every bit as important. David White is one of, he's a famous poet and a philosopher. He's also one of my personal teachers and has had a huge impact on my life. And he has a lovely essay on the word courage that I'm happy to send to you if you just email me. But there's a line in that essay that I think stands out. He says, courage is what love looks like when tested by the simple everyday realities of being alive. Courage is what love looks like when tested by the simple everyday realities of being alive. David goes on to say in that same essay, courage is the measure of our heartfelt participation with life. To be courageous is to stay close to the way that we're made. But maybe my favorite line is this. Courage, at first, often feels like confusion. Courage, at first, often feels like confusion. Now, how about that? 
How about that? What if those moments each day when you're confused as I often am right now are actually signs of courage? I mean, when you're struggling to discern what's next, when you're struggling to know how to stay connected, when you're struggling to know how to get your healthy rhythms back on track, when you're struggling to know what your kids need next or what your career or business needs next, what if all that stuff that feels like confusion and where you might be tempted to think you're failing, what if those moments are actually the first step of courageously engaging your life and courageously discerning the path of love in a world that is deeply disoriented? In the days ahead, I think courage will mean looking for the path, the Jesus path of love, when most of what you can see around you is fog. Courage may mean being willing to simplify. I mean, just willing to let go of some priorities so that you can focus on what's truly essential, even when letting go frightens you. And I'm speaking to myself here because I'm terrible at this and I'm trying to learn. Courage might mean taking those small steps day by day and engaging those small practices to give your amorphous days and weeks some shape and rhythm. I mean, church can help here because we can all stay together, connected in community groups and joining together on Wednesday nights for our prayer and meditation service and the other gatherings online and the classes and the conversations. I mean, a bunch of vital conversations that you've already heard about today, ones that we've been planning and have done together, ones that we're planning for the future and through the summer, Conversations we can join together and continue to be connected and to give shape to our days. But I really want to say one thing, that courage right now will simply mean listening and listening to your heart. I mean, I'm talking about actually listening to your soul in this uniquely quiet and isolating time and to pay attention, to really pay attention to what's emerging in you and to ask real questions about the life you want to live as we come out of quarantine and as the world hopefully, prayerfully, gradually assumes a new kind of normal. You know, psychologists, I find this fascinating, uh, psychologists say that people are actually dreaming more right now. We're dreaming more, or it might just be that we're remembering our dreams more easily because we're not on our normal schedules and we're sleeping in often a little later. So maybe it's just where we're remembering our dreams. But if you find yourself dreaming, pay attention, write it down, consider what your soul, what your heart is trying to raise to the surface in this really unique time that we're in. Courage for many of us will mean seeking the healing work of a therapist for the first time. I mean, this crisis is placing a heavy cognitive load on all of us every minute of every day, and it will shake out things in you and in me and all of us that need attention. And of course, always feel free to contact myself, any of the pastors or counselors at City Church for some companionship, some guidance on that process. But I want to close with what I think is the most important and hopeful part of this passage. Because Jesus promises us that we don't go into this moment alone. We're not alone. 
we see these lovely words in uh, verse 16. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth. I will not leave you orphaned. What a beautiful assurance. Jesus says that even though he is not physically present with his disciples in their crisis or physically present with us in ours, God has made God's spirit personally, and I mean personally, available to us moment by moment as an advocate. And that's such an interesting word in its context. It comes from the Greek word paraclete that's not used this way very much at all in the Bible. And it does mean advocate, but it also means encourager, has that courage word in it, encourager. And it specifically paints a picture of God speaking, God calling to you and on your behalf. It's that quiet voice encouraging you when your inner critic is screaming that you're lost and confused and doing it all wrong. It's the personal heart of God speaking directly to your heart, assuring you and helping you, helping all of us discern the way of love in a disorienting time. Jesus' remarkable promise here is that God is this close. God is this close, as close as the air around you now, as close as the morning light that's filling your homes right now. Maybe it's morning light reflecting off your loved one's faces, as close as your longing to be near your loved ones who might be far away. God is as close as the glow from the computer or the phone or the TV that you're looking at right now. God is this close. My prayer for this week is that you'll feel this, that you'll actually feel the Spirit of God encouraging you, speaking to you, and helping you to engage your world with courage and to notice the subtle signposts of the Jesus way of love. And so to send us off, I'll offer a short prayer. It's a short blessing from John O'Donohue, and receive this, please. May we live this day and this week compassionate of heart, clear in word, gracious in awareness, courageous in thought, and generous in love. Amen.